Hi, Pastor Anthony here. At Vintage Faith Church, we stand behind the Bible's claim to be the Word of God, and we believe that the Scriptures contain everything needed for life and godliness. The Scriptures testify to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray that this recording stirs your faith towards that end. This is in no way meant to be a substitute for the local church gathering, which we believe is critical to your growth as a Christian and your walk with Christ. We pray that you will find the sermon edifying and challenging. Thank you for listening. Ephesians 1, 3, 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, what we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Good morning, church. A few announcements before uh, we dig in this morning. Um, you see the archery signs up front, that ministry is starting soon. Uh, I think it's last week in June, Russ, June 20, last Thursday in June. So Russ heads that up. If you, we do need volunteers, we need people out on the field to, to make sure kids aren't shooting each other with arrows. And we need people inside to, to bring people on and, and get them registered. Um, make sure we have people in the building if kids and parents want to use the facilities. So um, we need uh, your help. And if you, you want to volunteer for that, you may have already talked to Russ, see Russ or see myself. Um, and more information coming on archery soon. Um, next Saturday, June 4th, 10 a.m., uh, there's an opportunity to serve at Casa de Paz. We've talked about Casa de Paz. This is a Spanish-speaking church that's a new church plant on the north side. They preach in Spanish. The, the, it's reaching a population in Syracuse that no other church is reaching. Uh, they need help, and there's an opportunity to, to serve, share the gospel um, with a, a ministry called The Beautiful Mess that our own Steve Brown is a part of, but it's connected to Casa de Paz. So Casa de Paz is a church we definitely want to start praying for. There's some connections there. We know the pastor. Um, we want to get to know them better, and we want to see how Vintage Faith Church, um, we are a small church with not a lot of resource, but guess what? There's churches smaller than us that need resource and need our help, and we can help them to minister to the whole um, city of Syracuse. So that's next Saturday, 10 a.m. You're going to see an email in the newsletter uh, this week with more details on that. Next week, we're having a fellowship meal, so please bring food. We're going to, after worship, we're going to uh, eat together and enjoy each other. So that's next week, and we still need help cleaning. So there's a cleaning uh, sign-up sheet. If you want to do that, you have questions about it, see Betsy Calabria or see myself, but uh, we need help cleaning the church. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we, we know that many have come in here, including myself, um, scattered, maybe 
a bit uh, thrown off. Maybe things have been happening in, in, in the lives and minds and hearts of, of your people here that they just need to be centered. So we ask that, that your Holy Spirit come down and, and just move and, and, and just grant this, this room peace and the ability to hear your word. Lord, we know that the enemy wants nothing more than your word to be veiled. So as I stand up here, Lord, I ask that you give me the words to say, and, and I know that nothing I say is worthy or can be smart enough or intelligent enough to get through to someone's heart and mind, only your Holy Spirit can do that. We acknowledge that, Lord. We pray that your, your word work in the hearts and minds of men and women and children in this room. And we lift this prayer up to you in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, in the early 1500s, you, you, you might know this name, and, and maybe the kids that are in school will know the name more than the adults, but there was a Polish astronomer by the name of Nicholas Copernicus. Anyone know that name? Copernicus probably rings a bell. Nicholas Copernicus, in late 1400s, early 1500s, proposed a theory. He was a mathematician and an astronomer. And he had, based on all his calculations and what he saw, he proposed a theory that the earth was revolving around the sun, not that the sun was revolving around the earth, which was the common understanding of the day. Everybody said this man is a, a fool. Even the church, Martin Luther and, and, and some of his colleagues, they said this fool wants to turn the whole art of astronomy upside down. Because at that point, it was commonly understood that everything revolved around the earth. The earth was the center of everything. And I tell this story and I open up with this story because what we're going to look at today is the Apostle Paul doing this same thing, but he's doing it spiritually in how we relate to God and God relates to us. Paul was turning the world upside down. And the verses we're going to look at this morning may turn your world upside down. You may kick back like everybody and kick back against Copernicus. Um, but I pray and I hope that eventually the word of God like a seed takes root and that you can take hold of this glorious doctrine that we're going to look at this morning. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, as some of you know, in the Greek, it's one sentence. So if you have your, your Bibles, you can um, open up to Ephesians. We're going to spend a lot of time in Ephesians. But um, Ephesians, especially chapter 1, it's a picture of a man worshiping as he writes. 
If you lose that picture and don't have that context, you're going to struggle with what you read in Ephesians 1. This is the Apostle Paul overflowing with praise. He's straining for words in how to describe how great and magnificent this God is that he is preaching. It is absolutely worship. And I would also submit to you that Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 is broken down in the formula of the Trinity. What we're going to look at today is the Father. Next week, we're going to look at the Son. And the week after, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. And there's divisions neatly laid out. If you have Ephesians open or if you're a note taker, and I know some of you are, Verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14 neatly divide Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In verse 14, talking of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. We're going to look at that because those are words that can easily get lost on all of us. Glory, we don't use that every day. Praise, well, we kind of use that um, to the praise of his glory. And grace, we use that, and that's used. Each of these words are used in different ways. But I want to submit to you that to the praise of his glorious grace is the whole reason why we are here Today, it's the whole reason we are going to be here Sunday, next Sunday. It's the whole reason we study his word. It's the whole reason we sing to God. We are praising, we are worshiping his glorious, the word glory, weighty, substantial, heavy. We are praising his glorious grace. We just sang about his grace. That's what we do when we gather on Sunday morning. That is the main thing. Yes, we are learning. Yes, we are fellowshipping. Yes, we are singing. But the reality is we are here praising his glorious grace. That is what your heart and my heart is meant to do. And I would ask you this morning, did you know that it's, God is all about his own glory. God is all about his name, not ours. And maybe that's a new category to you, and, and we're, we're going to press into that this morning. Uh, let's look at Isaiah 48, 9 to 11, before we get into our text. For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. 
that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God will not give his glory to any man or woman. Never. It is all about God's glory. Psalm 29, 1-2. This is the psalmist telling us, Ascribe to the Lord. Give, ascribe, give to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Once had a man tell me that he thinks that God is an egoist because he wants us to give him glory. I asked that man if he's ever read the scriptures because you cannot get past it. And the text we're going to look at this morning is a subtle shift. Paul is going to press on everyone in here a subtle shift that robs God of his glory, that steals glory from God. But before we get there, I just want to give you a flow here for where we're going. Um, I just laid out, so today, sermon title, Chosen by the Father. Next week, Redeemed by the Son. The week after, Sealed with the Spirit. And then Paul's going to get into this prayer in the week after that, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And all he's praying for is all these glorious truths that I've just laid out to you. I'm praying that you can see them. Oh, I want you to see them. I want the eyes of your heart to see them and to take hold of them because this will change you. We are changed by beholding the glory of the Lord, not looking into our own hearts, not being told to do something. We are changed by the glory of the Lord. And that is why God is all about his glory. It's the best thing for all of us to fix our eyes on. But sometimes these truths are hard to see. I'll confess that and my wife could attest to this. Uh, earlier this week, I'm, I'm reading through Ephesians, and I'm just like, these, I don't, I can't preach this. These truths are so lofty, and the language is so beyond anything I can grasp and get my hands and minds around. I can't do this. But you keep pressing in, and you keep pressing in, and um, I would encourage you that it, it, after the sermon and after every, every sermon, after you read the Bible, um, you're not always going to get it. That's not how the, the Word of God works. It's not a um, fill-in-the-blank. Uh, I, I remember when I first came to faith, and, and if you've done fill-in-the-blanks, I'm not saying they're all bad, but that is not the Word of God. The Word of God is in a multiple-choice, okay, what, here, and we walk out and we all know it. it it's compared to a seed. And that seed takes root. 
And you might get a little of it at, at some point, but that seed begins to grow. It's watered. You read, you read the word and something else makes sense. And that seed all of a sudden, maybe years down the road, has grown into a, a tree, an oak. That's how the word of God works. In our Wednesday night, theology night, we, we often explore some pretty big topics. And um, just this week, we were exploring a big topic. And, and, and it was like we all got to the point where like, it's beyond our reach. We can't. We can taste it, but we can't quite grab it. But guess what? My, my encouragement to all of you is think on those things, meditate on those things, because it might be a, a, beyond your reach now, but it, in a couple years it might not be. And that's how we are changed. Um, God's glory. We're changed by beholding the glory of God. And I, I want to submit to you this morning that our hearts, our sinful human hearts, constantly want to steal that glory from God. Constantly want to steal that glory from God. We wouldn't say it that way, but that's how our hearts operate. We want to be our own gods. All right, so let's get into the text today. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So here Paul begins, and he's just going to, he's going to verse after verse just be pouring out praise. And, and as you read it, you might imagine like, oh yeah, I, I kind of, I get that. Like, was Paul just delivered from a trial and he saw God move and he's just thankful or did, did, did he just get a, a big amount of money and he's, he's getting out of debt? Um, was he sick and, and, and he was healed and he's just praising God for it? No, Paul's in prison. He's in chains. He's got chains on him and he's spilling out praise. So what does Paul mean that God has blessed us in Christ? with every spiritual blessing. What does, he, what does he mean? Well, certainly the, the blessings Paul is speaking of, they're not, they're not temporary blessings. He's not talking about houses, and he's not talking about good weather. He's not talking about property. He's not talking about health. What does he mean? So if you have Ephesians open, I'll just give you a, a few of them. Because we don't have to wonder. This is how the Bible is written. He starts with these spiritual blessings, and then he's just going to unpack what they are. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So there's the first spiritual blessing. Election, you've been chosen. Not by anything you've done, but only by what God has done. And for the purpose of being holy and blameless. I don't think any of us could truly say we're holy and blameless. This must be a holiness that is alien to our nature. This is the holiness and blamelessness of Christ. He has given and gifted it to you and me if we know him. In verse 5, it says, In love he predestined us for adoption. So we've been adopted into the family of God in love. 
Verse 7 says, we have redemption through the blood of Christ, the forgiveness of our sin. Verse 11, we've obtained an inheritance. We've been predestined according to the purpose of him. And in verse 13 and 14, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that the inheritance is coming. So these are the blessings. When Paul says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, we don't have to wonder what they are. We're going we're gonna to go through that. We're going to look at a few today and for the next couple weeks, look at more of them. But I, I want to ask <clears throat> you a question this morning. Are these yours? Are these spiritual blessings yours? Really, only you can answer that. Have you received them? Do you know how to receive them? Eleven times in this one sentence, Paul uses the words, in Christ. In Christ. The only reason we have any of these blessings are because we are in Christ. He is ours, we are his. We have looked to the cross and the resurrection and said, yes, that was for me. He is mine, I am his. Are you in Christ? Have you received him? Or is all this language just strange to you and you're struggling to, to stay awake? Um, for the 45 minutes or 50 minutes that, that I talk? Have you received the spiritual blessings? And if you have, which most of you have, have you considered them? Have you considered them? One of the unfortunate results of the time that we live in, the time and place that we live in that none of us chose, is information is coming at you and me at record speeds, record speeds. We have access to, to, to every bit of information you could possibly have access to in your pocket, unless you don't have a smartphone, which maybe that's a few of you, or on your computer. And one of the unfortunate consequences of the amount of information we have is we don't digest truths. We move from one to the next. I do this. I'm guilty of it. I love to read, and it's just reading one thing to the next. If I'm in front of my computer, forget about it. It's blog to blog to hyperlink to blog. I, don't even, I couldn't even tell you what I started reading in the beginning of the day. But I think that's one of the reasons when we read Paul... 1 through 13, and we look at that, and we can kind of get bored with this. Well, these truths, like, yeah, they're, they're true, but I don't even really know what he's saying. What's he saying? Is he saying anything? This is just churchy language, right? Glorious, grace, foundation of the world, lavished. What's he really saying? I want to, to challenge you maybe and just, Say, have you considered 
what Paul is saying. And just Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, just that particular sentence of Scripture, have you considered it? Have you digested it? Have you thought about the words, what they mean, and what they mean for you? The, the Puritans had a, a term for this digesting of, of God's word. They called it meditation. Not like we call meditation today, where it's mainly the emptying of the mind. The Puritans would talk about meditation and say, I'm going to fill my mind with God's truth, and I'm going to just think about it and ponder it. And maybe it's a day, and maybe it's a week, and maybe it's a month. Joel Beek says this of, about meditation. Meditation engages the mind with God's revealed truth in order to inflame the heart with affections towards God. That's always what the Word of God, the aim of the Word of God is always. It's not just for knowledge. It's always to affect the heart. Always. If it's not affecting the heart, we're doing it wrong. And transform the life to obedience. Thomas Hooker defined it like this. Meditation is a serious intention of the mind whereby we come to search out the truth and settle it effectually. That just means completely, like fully. Settle God's truth effectually upon the heart. This is a lost art today. It's a lost discipline. And, and I would love to see this kind of take hold in, in Vintage Faith Church. And, and some of you probably do it, and you're like, yes, yes. And it's going to look different for everyone. I have to do this every week. And I say have to because I don't want to do it every week. <laughs> Believe me, I, I love preaching and I love learning God's work, but word, but it's a discipline. And in order to preach any text, I have to just sit on it and turn the words over, pray about it, sit on it, think about it, journal it out, write it out. And I would just ask you, do you do that in some capacity? To get really practical, I would just say take, take a small portion of Scripture, print it out, write it out, just carry it with you. Think about it. Think about what it means for you. What does it say about God? My wife and I have even done this together. At times, we've fasted over a particular scripture. We want to know what this means, and we want to know what it means for us. We're going to fast. And I don't say that to, I'm not like, hey, look at me. I'm just, I want to see that here in this congregation. That's going to change you. That's going to change you. That's sitting and in, in, in thinking upon God's word. So God has blessed us with every spiritual blessings blessing in the heavenly realm. And here is the first one. Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in him before the world even existed. Have you considered that? Have you considered that? It's not, God didn't look down the corridors of history and say, hey, these guys, they were going to choose me, so I'll choose them. He didn't do that. That's not what the text says. 
It's not what it says in, in other places in the Bible. It says, in he, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is Paul doing what Copernicus did. He's saying, you think that you chose God, you didn't choose God, he chose you, then you chose him. And we're going we're gonna to unpack that here in a minute. And you, you might be thinking, I, I've never heard that, or I've heard that, and I've heard that that's not good. But I want to challenge you and say that the scripture has a tidal wave of evidence to support what Paul is saying here. You might be thinking, I know I decided to follow Jesus. I remember the day. And you did. And I'm not taking that away from you. You did. But we're going to look at maybe how that happens. Quote from R.C. Sproul. Before I read the quote, he's talking about Reformed theology. Reformed theology just is this, it's a big God theology. It's the idea. Um, Election is not the only thing in it, but it, it certainly would hold to election. So Sproul says this. Reformed theology does not teach that God brings the elect. So if you know Jesus, you are the elect. That's in the Bible. Does not teach that God brings the elect kicking and screaming against their will into his kingdom. It teaches that God so works in the hearts of the elect is to make them willing and pleased to come to Christ. They come to Christ because they want to. They want to because God has created in their hearts a desire for Christ. And I submit to you as your pastor that this little nuance has everything to do with the glory of God. If you chose him without him choosing you, you've got some of that glory. I was smart enough to know that he's God. I did my research. I know that he's God. I chose him. That's glory. You can boast in that. And, and when we get to Ephesians 2, Paul's going to say, he's going to talk about being dead, dead in our trespasses, God made us alive. Dead men don't talk, dead men don't move, dead men don't think. So Paul, all throughout this letter, is going to press on this idea if you are familiar with, with the Gospels and uh, if you remember Peter talking with Jesus. Jesus asked Peter a question. It's a famous question. What, is, what does Jesus ask Peter? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am, Peter? Peter says, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And do you know what Jesus answers him with? Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus answered him, blessed, first of all, blessed. Just same language as Paul. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. That's Peter's name. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is saying, the only way you know that I am the Christ, the only way that you can worship me for being the Christ, is because my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. This goes along with our parable series. Some will hear, some won't hear. 
when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, we got some of the same thing going on. Jesus answers them in, in John 3, 3, answers Nicodemus, and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see the kingdom of God unless the Father has granted it to you, unless you've been born again. In 3.8, he goes on to say, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. The Spirit is going to convict who God calls. And, and I know, as I say this, that there's people in here right now kicking back, and that's okay. This is a doctrine that, that people kick back against, but um, I'm not going to not preach it because it's in the text, and it's for your good. It's for your good. This doctrine gives God the glory and not you. Paul, in, in Romans 9, if, if you want to do some research more research in the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is in the scriptures. I would just tell you, go to Romans 9. And he's anticipating all sorts of objections. his, His big objection is, well, then God can't be just. If he chooses some and has mercy on some and doesn't have mercy on others, what kind of a God is that? He's not a just God. But Paul says in Romans 9, 19 to 20, you will say to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? So he's anticipating, well, okay, why does God find fault in anyone? Who can resist his will? But listen to his response. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We cannot grasp this. And the more we try to grasp it, the more we're probably going to end up in these areas of oversimplifying it into some kind of heresy that is just not what it's meant to be. But the doctrine of being chosen, or sometimes called election, sometimes called predestination, It stands on this idea that no one is righteous. Romans 3, Paul says, No one is righteous, no one seeks God, no, not one. No one seeks God. All are guilty. And I would ask you this morning, if you're hearing that from me and you're like, I've never heard this before, I would just challenge you. Then read read the Bible. Because it's everywhere in the Bible. It's it's all throughout the pages of Scripture. Louis Burkhoff is a... A theologian, he said this, no one has the right to call God to account. That's what we do when we say that's not fair. No one has the right to call God to account for electing some and rejecting others. He would have been perfectly just if he had not saved any. And Christian, brother, sister, how does that sit with you? I would ask you, how does that sit with you? Because there's all sorts of iterations and different ways that Christianity is out there in our world right now. Follow Jesus and you will have a flourishing life. You'll find purpose. And, and those things are not, tr- are not untrue. But the reality is 
every single human being has the wrath of God on them until they turn to Christ. And all are guilty because all fall short of the glory of God. And I know that is the hardest thing to wrestle with as a human being, but it's in the scriptures. It's there. And when you see that you deserve God's wrath and hell and, and then sing and, and, and believe that you have been saved by grace, I can tell you that's going to invoke worship. If you didn't think you were in any kind of danger and then you kind of come to Christ, what, what are you worshiping at that point? I would ask you that. If that's you, what are you, what are you worshiping? We are praising his glorious grace, and that grace has a real tangible meaning. And that is part of it. John Stott says this about the doctrine of election. Now everybody finds the doctrine of election difficult. Didn't I choose God, somebody asks indignantly. To which he must answer, we must answer, yes, indeed you did. So again, that's not being taken from you. Indeed you did, and freely, but only because in eternity God had first chosen you. Didn't I decide for Christ, asked somebody else, to which we must reply, yes, indeed you did. And freely, but only because in eternity God had first decided for you. That is what Ephesians is going to teach. It's teaching it in this verse. It's going to teach it multiple times in the letter. You want to jump over to Romans, Romans 9. It's throughout the Bible. Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. And I would just ask you, do you have this straight? Do you have this straight in your theology. You might say, well, I'm not into theology. I just love Jesus. Everyone has theology. Do you have this straight? And I would submit to you, if you don't, you are subtly taking glory from God, taking, trying to take glory because nobody can take glory from God. And you might say, well, what about my faith? Isn't faith the reason? You know, yes, it's all God, and yes, but my faith, I have my faith Hebrews 12.2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Some of your translations are going to say the author of our faith. That word, that Greek word, means originator, author, beginner, establisher, pioneer. Jesus is the author of your faith. He's given you the faith to have faith. Your faith is yours just like your breath is yours, just like your mind is yours. But your breath and your mind are given by God, just like your faith is given by God. And all of this, guys, it's all for the praise of his glorious grace. All of it. So even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Let's continue Ephesians 1.5, and I'm going to use the last two words from 4. In love, he predestined us for adoption 
to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So again, look at this language. Paul's not giving you, he's not giving you an inch. Not an inch. He pre, now he's going, he chose you. Now he predestined you and adopted you. If anyone in here knows anything about adoption, it's the parents that are adopting the child. The heart of adoption is love, and Paul says it here, in love. And again, I would just ask, why would you kick back against this? This is God's love that he set upon you before the foundation of the world. He knew you. He didn't know that you were going to choose him. That takes away from him. He knew you. He set his love on you before the world existed and said, she is mine. He is mine. Before the foundation of the world. Deuteronomy 7, 7 to 8. This is, talks about God talking about Israel. So I, I want to show you here that this idea of election and adoption is not a New Testament idea. It goes all the way back to, to the beginning of the Bible. And this is God talking about Israel. It was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It was not because you were more in number, it was not because you were smart. It was not because God saw that you would choose him, so he chose you. I mean, think about that, that men, mental game that, that you're playing there. That's a game. It's because he set his love on you that he chose you. Charles Spurgeon has a, a quote. Um, this is, he's kind of riffing on a, a, a Ezekiel chapter 16. So again, for you note takers, Ezekiel 16. When God passed by the field in which you were, we were lying, he saw no tears in our eyes till he put them there himself. He saw no contrition in us until he had given us repentance. And there was no beauty in us that could induce him to adopt us. On the contrary, we were everything that was repulsive. And if he had said, thou art cursed, be lost forever, it would have been what we might have expected from a God who has been so long provoked and whose majesty had been so terribly insulted. This is, again, this is getting back at that idea of no one, instead of asking the question, why are some saved, elected, and others not, we should revel in the fact that God's grace has saved and elected some. But there was nothing in us Nothing in us, even our repentance, Spurgeon is saying, is given by God. It's a gift given by God. And again, I would ask you, if, if, if you're one of the people in here, and again, I, I, I'm preaching the sermon knowing, I, I know this and I say this, I, I get it, but I know that not everyone's on the same page here, but I would just ask you, what is it in you that so badly wants to kick back against this idea of God's predetermining 
elective love. Why? Do you think it's unfair? Paul covers that. Who are we to talk back to God? God does what God does. If he wants to create some objects for mercy, he does. If, if for wrath, he does, and it all glorifies him. Or do you want the credit for your faith? What is it that you so badly want to believe that kicks back against this idea? Paul says in Romans 19, or Romans 9, 14 to 16, he says, What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on human will. Get that. Human will. You did not choose God. It is, does not depend on your will or exertion, but on God who has mercy but on God who has mercy. And yes, you did choose God, but he put those desires in your heart. So you are chosen, you are predestined for adoption. I don't know if you've considered adoption and, and what it means to be adopted in Christ. But I want to draw your attention to um, the book of Romans, chap chapter 8, in which Paul gives us a little bit of an idea of what it means to be adopted. And this goes for all of us in here who know Christ. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So Abba is a tender it's a kind of a daddy. This is, this is Father God and his gentleness. We talk about God is, has a, a severity, and, but God has a gentleness, the Father. We can cry, Abba, Father, like you're sitting on the lap of the Father. Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Brother and sister in Christ, you are heirs. That means all that the Son is given. Jesus Christ, the only begotten, the one and only unique Son of the Father, all the, the beauty and everything he inherits, we do as well because we are children of God. We are heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. Did you know as a Christian you can cry the most tender and intimate words to God the Father, Abba, because you are his. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're a son or a daughter. Everything that he has is yours. We get a taste now and one day we're going to inherit all of it. It's no coincidence that in this passage, where I started by saying Paul is, he's overflowing in worship. This language is worship language. 
praise of his glorious grace, right? That he says it three times to, to, to praise God's grace. And it's no accident that we have predestination, election, and adoption in that same paragraph. Because that gives God all the glory. All of it. We can only fall on our knees and worship him in gratitude and thankfulness when he gets the glory. I want you to think back about your journey to God. And for some of you, that has to go back a long way. And for some of you, not, not that long. And I would ask you to just think about it for a moment. Think about maybe a friend who invited you to church. Maybe think back to somebody gave you a book. Or maybe you read a book on your own. It was just sitting there and you read it. Think back to that curiosity that, that maybe was put in you when you were a child and you just wanted to know about why are we here? Think back to the people God has, has put in your life. Maybe somebody shared the gospel with you. Again, maybe somebody invited you to church. Maybe there was a day that you fell on your knees and surrendered because all the circumstances in your life were falling apart and you finally realized, I can't do this on my own. I need a higher power. Maybe it was a sin, something you did in your past that was haunting you and, and, it, and it just kept getting louder and louder and louder and louder until one day you confessed and God took the burden from you. If you keep backing up your life, you will see that it was not you. It was always God. God was calling you. He was drawing you. He was putting people in your life, putting maybe you were, grew up in a Christian home. He was, from the beginning, working. There was always something bigger at work in your life. God was drawing you and God was calling you. And maybe some of you are in here today and he is drawing you and calling you now. <laughs> no problem. All right. That's funny. Um, sorry. But think back. Think back to your life. And, and I would ask you, you know, maybe use the day to, to think back. And, and again, I, I mean, you were on a walk and you ran into someone. Someone gave you a book. I mean, these are things. They're not you choosing. Yes, they led you, but it was God drawing you. And if he was drawing you, it is because you are his. Another quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite certain that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born, or else he never would have chosen me afterwards. And he must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I never could find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. Brothers and sisters, that, that's you too. Don't rob God of his glory. It was all him. It was all him. 
John 6, 37, so Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me. The Father elects. All that the Father gives Jesus will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And this is all to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. It is all to praise God. We're about to to sing our last song here. The song title is How, How Great is our God. And I just pray that as we sing this as, as a body, as we sing this as a congregation, that, that our hearts are moved towards this doctrine that's called the doctrine of election. And that we stop pushing back on it and that we accept it because it gives God the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and as we wrestle with some very lofty theology, help us to see it as worship. This is not an intellectual hobby horse. This is not an intellectual um, debate. Help us to see that throughout, from the beginning, from Genesis to Revelation, you call your people. That your grace is irresistible when you call a child. Yeah, we might fight it in the beginning, but at the end of the day, there is no fighting your grace. Lord, help us to understand that we must also preach the gospel to every man, woman, and child. This does not at all stop us from spreading your word, but we can rest, remind us that we can rest, that all we need to do is scatter the seed and that you, that you and you alone will cause that to grow or to not grow. Lord, you are a great and magnificent God. We give you all the glory and we thank you and we praise you in the mighty name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in with us. We hope that you found this sermon edifying, encouraging, and challenging. To learn more about Vintage Faith Church, visit vintagefaithcicero.com. And of course, if you live in the area, we invite you to worship the Lord with us on Sunday mornings.